That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Welcome to That's What She Said, conversations with interesting people from the world of sports, music, comedy, and more, talking about their lives, careers, successes, and failures. My name is Frank Caliendo, and my dilemma is coming up with a dilemma for this promo. Listen, it's a sure sign that a guy has a custom pool with a slide that goes through a mountain on a compound that he calls Caliendo Compound in the middle of Arizona. I believe it's Arizona. It's, you can sure sign of that when they can't come up with a dilemma. I mean, you ask a guy for a simple dilemma. It could really be anything. It could be my shorts are too tight in the seat today. It could be people suck at driving. It could be my in-laws annoy me. And yet somehow... Frank Caliendo, he of the perfect golden life, is most troubled by the fact that I asked him that question. And I'd like to say you could judge him terribly and assume that this is going to be a brutal interview because what kind of guy can't even come up with a little dilemma? But as it turns out, I think he's a pretty cool dude. And we had a great conversation. So I'm going to let him off the hook this time. And I'm going to tell them that his dilemma is that he doesn't have a dilemma, which makes people think that he doesn't have any dilemmas, which makes people think that he's a jerk. Because everybody got there something. And that's the only dilemma he has, I guess, which is, again, no dilemmas. How does the commish fix that? The commish has spoken. This week's guest is Frank Caliendo, a comedian and impressionist. You know him from Mad TV, Frank TV, uh, ESPN, Fox NFL Sundays. He had a Vegas show, countless other appearances. And we had a really interesting conversation. I've, I've gone to his show live. Uh, he's worked with ESPN a ton. And you're used to seeing him be this sort of manic, frantic, back and forth between all the characters that he does. And it's hilarious. And it requires an incredible talent. But I loved getting to talk to the man who actually became that impressionist and what, you know, brought him to that his his baseball past and how he sort of started comedy behind the plate as a catcher in youth baseball, um, how he learned that honesty makes his impressions come to life and makes them more than just mimicry, uh, which impressions he gets asked to do the most, which ones are the toughest to pull off, um, and how he sort of evolved and changed since he started out um, and wanted to make that joke every second instead of becoming someone who wanted to be more honest with himself and his family and his storytelling in between uh, the punchline. So uh, the conversation just kind of started. So we're going to jump right in, right in the middle. Here's my interview with Frank Caliendo. That's what she said. I always like to start at the beginning. And it's fun to start at the beginning with you because you're from Chicago, which is where I'm from as well. Um, but then you went to Wisconsin. So at what age did you end up in Waukesha? Uh, I was four years old. My dad worked for uh, a, a place called or a uh, company called the Caloric Corporation, which made ranges stoves and microwaves and stuff like that it was a part of a bigger uh umbrella company called raytheon and what he he moved he was the regional manager or something like that for the wisconsin region from coming i was born in elmwood park illinois i was actually born in cook county uh you know chicago area and then when i was four we moved here for his job or there for his job to to the waukesha area um and what happened actually there along the way was he was like the district manager for this, uh, for that company. He was and Michael they would, Scott. Yes. <laughs> and he would sell, uh, stoves to all the big and little stores. Well, all those stores, uh, basically evaporated, right? They, they, they went away because, 
little stores where, where you would buy um, kitchen appliances and stuff don't exist, didn't exist anymore. It became more like the Best Buys and stuff yeah. like that. So then his position was eventually eliminated and he ended up working uh, – as a high school guidance counselor later, which I thought was the craziest thing in the world that my dad <laughs> was guiding other kids. Uh, you when could say he, he had range. Yeah. I, oh, yeah terrible job. Hello, no. So I, bad. Fantastic. <laughs> um, but in, in, in terms of going off on tangents of things people really don't care in terms of my dad, <laughs> my dad. But that was a lesson for me that you could lose your job at any point and to take a chance. And I heard Jim Carrey talk about this uh, in one of his like A and E biographies or something, that his dad lost his job later in uh life, and Jim Carrey went out to Hollywood and started just like, hey, I'll take the chance and go do it. You only live once, so hmm. that's kind of how I was tying it in back to where I yeah, where I was born. Sure. My wife's from uh, Cleveland, by the way, and you're from Cleveland, right? So I was born in Cleveland, but just like you, and even earlier, we left for for uh, a suburb of Chicago when I was uh two. So I have oh, been okay. less of a connection to Cleveland. And thankfully, my parents were not sports fans, so they didn't force me to grow up with any allegiance to Cleveland teams. I'm planning on getting divorced anyway, so I'll get rid of my ties to Cleveland. Perfect. I'm totally yeah. kidding about that. I Wait, think it's my, worth my, it. No, I think it's worth it. People, yeah, right. Just to divorce myself from Cleveland, I <laughs> yes. will uh, divorce. No, my wife and I are extremely happy. Extremely. Oh, that's nice. Extremely happy. Incredibly happy. Well, when you said it for a second time, it made it a little less believable. <laughs> I didn't um, know. I didn't know if we were talking at the same time. So I was like, I'm going to keep it. Um, so you growing up in uh, Waukesha, were you into sports growing up or were you more of like the, I'm sitting at home and I'm watching, you know, Saturday Night Live or, or listening to comedy CDs, that kind of vibe? So now I didn't watch a lot of comedy at all when I was a kid. My dad was a former uh, minor leaguer in the White Sox organization. No way. Yeah, just a few years he played with the Sarasota Sun Sox, um, nice. now defunct. Um but we grew up playing baseball, basketball, football, even though you'd think Wisconsin is more of a hockey type of uh, state as well. We, it was really those three. Um, and we played baseball mostly. That was that was my sport because I'm 5'6", and uh, I could hit a little bit, but I never had the arm or uh, I wasn't really fast enough in terms of uh, true athletes. Uh, but growing up, we were around a lot of people. I worked for a, a guy named uh, Mike Hegan. Do you remember Mike Hegan? He was a uh, played with the A's, mm -hmm. and uh, his dad was Jim Hegan. Um, so a couple minor league, uh, major league baseball players. But there was an indoor baseball, softball, and basketball place called Mike Hegan's Grand Slam, and I was one of the <laughs> token givers. And um, my brother used to throw batting practice to Craig Council. Uh, all the time. Craig was coming up. He this he played in Whitefish Bay, uh, Dominican. I think was the school he went to. And I was at we were at we were still in middle school at the time. And uh, they were uh, there. Craig Council was on a a team of all stars from Wisconsin that went to Urbandale, Iowa, and won the national championship 18 and under for AAU baseball that year. We were on the 14 and under. We were the Wisconsin All-Stars as well. He, they were the Wisconsin Dukes. And uh, we won the nationals in uh, Urbandale, Iowa as well. So in that, I think it was the second year of AAU baseball, I was named an All-American. Uh, wow. I believe, yes. My last time named So what age was this? 
four. That was five. fourteen under. Nineteen eighty-eight. Nineteen eighty-eight. I have the trophy behind me. A picture of me with the trophy behind that. Uh, yeah. I, I, all I wanted to do is play baseball when I was a kid. You ever hear um, Billy Crystal talk about? I would spit like Louis yeah. Aparicio. I would throw like Louis Aparicio. I just wanted to be <laughs> Louis Aparicio. So that was that was me. I just wanted. I had pictures of. Uh, you know, Benito Santiago and, uh, all kinds of baseball players in my room. Uh, those old super cool posters. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, that and Will Clark and the, those types of posts, Jose Canseco, Bash Brothers, all that stuff. So, uh, baseball was, was my whole life all the way through, um, basically senior year in high school. And, uh, I was a catcher. I became a catcher. Um, I think because people looked at my uh, stature and thought of me like in the Bad News Bears or something. But <laughs> I would like, talk. He doesn't have to crouch. Right, right. That's pretty close to it. <laughs> and uh, I would uh, talk to all the batters. So I would I would talk to the umps and and joke with the umps and do uh, different voices and stuff. Maybe not impressions of famous people, but I would mess around with the batters a lot. And the umps always. Had a lot of fun with that, but I think that was my first time kind of really performing was right. behind the plate. So that's cool. So did you, as, as you're then growing up through high school and you're, you know, your focus is on baseball, your family's really into sports. Um, where does the comedy come in? Does it, is it, is it perhaps puberty and being your height? Um, I had the reverse. I was, you know, six feet when I was 12. So I started to be very funny because I was deeply uncomfortable. Yeah, I would have killed to be six feet at that. Um, I, uh, and you probably would have been happy at five, six, right? Yeah, I would have been a lot, I would have had a lot better chance at the dance. That's for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, but you, you, but you, you made all the all like region and state teams, didn't you? That's, yes. Yeah. Yes. So I didn't, that's, that's all I wanted. You have my life. Um, so. Well, I wanted to go into comedy. So is it too late for us to switch? What, no, what yeah, let's, let's just do it. Let's see if ESPN <laughs> figures it out. <laughs> Um, so I, I don't, you know, I don't even really know. I was, I was a chubby kid. So I think that was probably part of it too. Uh, I was very quiet up until about maybe um, sixth, seventh grade. And then I kind of started breaking out of my shell and just, I, I was truly awkward with girls, just terrible. Couldn't even say hello or uh, just like the worst and uh, just a, a confidence problem. My dad used to get mad at me because he's like, you got to have confidence, not even with girls, just like in anything. He's like, you got no confidence. Yeah. I'm like, well, you're not helping it right now. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think there's a, a lot of it's a defense mechanism, but I just like to hold court when we would travel on the road with the, the baseball teams and stuff. You go to the hotel. Nobody's got anything to do. There weren't at that time. People didn't bring their Xboxes with them in the hotel rooms. So we'd just be in the lobby, teams would be hanging out, and I kind of hold court and be an idiot, and people would pay attention. So I think that yeah. was a bigger part of it. Was sports for me brought me into uh, what I do comedy wise because that was my social uh, where my social set came from, from. Yeah, yeah, my social currency, which is the why you're the wordsmith and I'm just a <laughs> smith. But, uh, yeah, and, and I didn't, I, I always tell people that get into comedy and, uh, drama and acting and all that kind of stuff, I say, pay attention to your English classes, social studies, history. I didn't pay attention to any of that stuff, and I wish <laughs> I had, because I was so into just the sports stuff, which pays off 
in in many ways. But I wish I was a little more well-rounded growing up because anytime you can use those references, right. uh, it's it's great. And the fact that I know things, maybe not even specifics anymore, but I remember Andre Scalaraga's batting average uh, right. being at the top of the USA Today uh rectangle in the bottom corner of the paper and stuff that was that's what i spent most of my high school doing that and that and asking somebody to go grab me snacks from the vending machine so uh just that well-roundedness but sports definitely ties into my comedy i think and i honestly i don't think i i may not have ever tied that together that may be a revelation on your show today sarah wow i love being around for those or perhaps perhaps the cause of them um so you go to university of wisconsin milwaukee I first went to Parkside, though. I was going to play baseball at the University of Wisconsin Parkside. A bunch of my friends, uh, that play, we played some travel baseball together and, uh, stuff were a little better than me. Parkside was a division two school and I was going to walk on there. And then I got to my first college classes and I took a calculus class and I'm like, it was a night class. And I was like, this is way too much for me. I ended up dropping it, but I was also like, I can't spend, I'm not going anywhere in baseball. And all I can do is hit. I'm not good enough. They're looking for five tool players and I have zero. So, <laughs> uh, so I went to Parkside for a year and then transferred to University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, partly because they had a broadcast journalism, mass communication set of courses. Got it. Okay. And did you know at that point? So like at some point around that time when you're thinking about what's next, what am I doing with my life? Entertainment and comedy became more of a serious thing. I, I, I thought I wanted to be more of the, um, I thought I wanted to be a sports caster. Hmm. I thought that's where I wanted to go. I thought I wanted to work as like an ESPN sports center anchor okay. or even a, a local anchor. And later when I now, got were you to- watching, like, I don't, I'm trying to think of the right age for this. Was that Pat- around the time of like the big show? Was that Patrick, and, Patrick Oberman. and Oberman? 100%. Because that would absolutely make sense that you would be watching that and thinking, okay, this gets to combine the things I like most. Like Sunday nights. They were doing bits basically while giving us our sports. Absolutely. It was Seinfeld on Thursday and Cheers, I think, at the time. And then that was at Parkside with my friends. And then we would get back early on Sundays to watch Patrick and Oberman. And, uh, that was a, that was a big deal, uh, to us. Um, so yeah, that I, I realized later when I went to ESPN and was around there more that oh, I did not have the brain to be an ESPN anchor, even in the least, because you really had to know a history, a more in-depth history and understand stats. And I think personally a little bit more, um, than I did. I knew some baseball and I knew some basketball and football, but, and I know people kind of have their specialties, but at the same time, I was looking and, and talking with people and just their vast knowledge of sports there. I was like, ah, I thank goodness I didn't try this because I would have been outmatched completely and I never would have, uh, <laughs> gone the direction that I, that I thought I could. So, um, when did you make that turn or when did you decide to focus? Less on the sports side. Cause I know you started doing stand up and stuff during college, right? Yeah, a little bit. I, so I started taking classes at University of Wisconsin Milwaukee for broadcast because I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I, I knew I loved television. I knew I loved sports. And, uh, my, my revelation was kind of this. I didn't like to be the interviewer as much as the interviewee. Right. So I always wanted to be like somebody, my goal. In, in television or whatever at that time was really 
just to be a guest on the Tonight Show, just to be <laughs> a, a guest on Letterman. That's all I really and I got that. Fairly That's funny because I wanted to be Letterman, so somehow we've ended up in the right roles here. Yeah, well, see, there. that's the thing, though, too, because I remember talking to Jimmy Kimmel years ago, and he said he did the NFL on Fox before I did, and we're just talking about stuff for a little bit. And he's like talking about how he didn't know what he wanted to do. He didn't want to be an actor, really. He, he didn't want to do sports, per se. And he's like, talk show host is just kind of where I fall in. And I'm like, yeah, I, I just like being a guest. I don't want to have to work that hard. <laughs> so there was a reality to that, but... Uh, I, I, I also had a problem and I don't know about you, but if I was going to interview somebody for a project in school, the, the, you know, for just a paper and pretending like it was a, uh, some type of real broadcasting situation, I just, I didn't, I didn't have the the guts to go do that. And it was hard for me to stick the microphone in front of somebody. I just felt awkward Hmm. about it. If you have that cube on it that says you're from ESPN, I think it gives you a a bit of credibility and gravitas in that situation. I just, I figured if I can't do this now, I'm not going to be able to do it later. And uh, so I, I actually uh, finished up my major, which was broadcast journalism. And then, just started trying comedy. I went to a comedy sports class as I think a, a junior in college. And what's in comedy sports for people who don't know is a, an improv games, uh, type of art form. Uh, not long form like Second City where they do big long scenes. Right. This is more jokey and, 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 uh, quicker, quicker hits to the laughs. And they, uh, the first class I took, the guy's like, you should try stand up. Like, does that mean I'm that terrible at improv? He's like, <laughs> no, but you do these little impressions and stuff and that would work in stand up. So I went up to a stand up comedy club. I got up and I immediately actually did extremely, extremely well. And the club owner came over to me and wanted me to start working there right away. I'm like, I don't have, this is all I have. I have three minutes. He's like, that's, that's an incredible three minutes. Just do that three minutes. I'm like, well, what do I do for the other time? Because you want me to do 15 minutes. He's like, uh, you know, just to make some stuff up. I'm like, I wish it was that easy. That's not what it is. So uh, I ended, I actually hurt my back. And I only had like five impressions at the time. I was still in in college. I hurt my back. And I was out for a while. I was... It, this sounds ridiculous. Now it sounded ridiculous then, but I, I'd hurt my back playing baseball and football in, in high school and middle school. And... I went down to tie my shoe. I turned wrong and I couldn't get back up at, you know, 17 years old, 18 years old. I'm a 90 year old man, right? Yeah. Um, so in that time, I learned to do a bunch of different impressions. A couple years uh, or another year later, I went back to that comedy club and they started working me right away. At the time, I'd worked on a bunch of more stuff there, uh, and, and gotten better at, uh, uh, uh just creating a little bit of an act. Some of it worked, some of it didn't. But the crazy thing was I started working right away and that nobody really did that. And I, I, I try to use the analogy of it's like being a catcher in baseball. And it, it, as I was a kid that they always tell you, when you're a catcher, you have a, the fastest way of the major leagues is be a catcher because there's so few people doing it and there's even fewer people doing it well. Well, the impressions was like being a catcher. Nobody at that time, this is before YouTube or any type of social media, nobody was really doing any impressions. And people who were, were doing vaudevillian 
kind of you know, rich little type of mm-hmm. 1950s feeling stuff. And I was weaving them all together because I, lo- I grew up loving Jonathan Winters and Robin Williams and kind of combining and talking to myself in the different impressions and putting out little scenes. So that all evolved. I graduate from college. I'm like, well, I, I don't know. I don't really want to do the, the sports casting thing. I don't think is directly for me. I just took my chance and to tie it back into the thing about my dad, uh, you know, losing his job when I was in high school and, uh, Jim Carrey and his father, I went out and just tried it. I figured, why not just go take the chance, take the plunge. And what do you got to lose? You, you're gonna, you can go to Eau Claire, Wisconsin and try and be a, uh, a reporter for a small local news station and wake your, work your way up. You probably, Eau Claire's probably the mid range. Even it's probably starts smaller than that. Um, nothing against Eau Claire. I'm just picking a, a smaller <laughs> city. Uh, but yeah, so I just, I just took the chance, tried stand up. Some college agents saw me and they're like, you need to be on the college circuit. How old are you? Like, you know, 22 years old at the time. They're like, you're talking to these, you're the same age as all these kids right. pretty much. And it worked. And I was nominated for college entertainer of the year and college comedian of the year, uh, and did extremely well in that for a few years. And then, <laughs> you know, you get to be 25, 28, 30, you start to look like the college kids' dads more and then they don't <laughs> want to listen to you. Time for a quick break and then more. That's what she said with Sarah Spain. Credit card bills. Every month you get them with multiple payments and multiple due dates. Wouldn't it be easier to just have one payment at a lower rate? You can with a credit card consolidation loan from my friends at Lightstream. You can get a loan from 5000 to to 100000 with no fees. And you can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. The online application is so easy you can apply right from your phone. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience. And that's exactly what they deliver. Just for my listeners, apply now to get a special interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash Spain, L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash Spain, S-P-A-I-N. Subject to credit approval, rate includes a 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash Spain for more information. That's what she said. You end up getting onto Mad TV. First, there was a sketch comedy series hype, and then Mad TV. How long after you decided to take this plunge and, and go full in before you made it? Because it feels like you didn't have to wait that long. For I didn't. Break. I didn't, and that's part of the problem. I didn't get to develop as myself and have my own voice. I was just this machine of impressions. Right. So five, maybe even five, six years ago, I wouldn't have been able. I, I probably could have talked to you. Talked, talking? Did I really? Yeah, you did. Wow. Yeah. So okay. Maybe you're still working on it. I'm working on past participles. <laughs> At least I know the part of speech yeah. they are, I think. So, uh, I, I, oh, brutal, brutalize the language. Um, so we're, we're, you gotta get me back on track on this because I, they, I threw myself off so badly with that. Yes. So, I um, think you were going to say that you got lost oh, in the impressions, which I actually want to get to. Okay. But in, in, in terms in a of, moment, but I wanted to, I wanted to hear about like, the, the feeling of not, of not waiting that long before you get that break and how that may be formed. Yeah, so I was I started I graduated from college in Wisconsin Milwaukee in '96. I was on to, I was on television. Um, I think I did Craig Kilborn set Kelby. Oh yeah, you gotta <laughs> love me. Who does a Kilborn? Nobody. It's not in demand right now. Um, so <laughs> right. So he that was like '97 ish. So I was on, t- I'd already gotten on TV there. By 99, I 
had that show uh, or I was, I got a development deal to do that show in 2000 called Hype on the WB at the time. So uh, I, when I first went to LA, I just did a bunch of impressions for people and people were offering me all kinds of stuff. Cause when you're new in LA, it may not be the same now because people can see you on YouTube and all that type of stuff. But when you, at the time, when you, when I went to LA, people were like, who are you? Where did you come from? They were amazed. Mm-hmm. I couldn't even get on Make Me Laugh on Comedy Central. And I got a manager and an agent that, that week, one of the big, the biggest agency in the world, even at the time. And I was in rooms with network executives and presidents. That's crazy. Yeah, just just nuts. Now I didn't have I didn't have enough. I didn't have enough <laughs> things. I was really one dimensional, and I was I didn't. I, as much as I'm struggling to speak right now to get this idea out, it was that all the time before. Uh, yeah. it, it was constant as myself. I never would have been able to talk. Uh, I could do it in a room, but not in a situation or in or an interview like we're doing right now. I would have immediately just started going to the impressions, going to the well, and trying to be a, a, a jokester. I've learned over time that it's more important to be interesting, and I the audience determines that. But it's more important to be interesting than trying to be funny all the time. If you're trying to be funny, people start to feel this thing about, wow, you're really making an effort to be funny. But if you're interesting, <laughs> people will go... Yeah, I, uh, I want to hear more about who you are. And that's part of the, the, the difficult thing that, uh, the situation that I've had that's been difficult. People are waiting for the next magic trick. Uh, as an, a person who does impressions, they think of you like a magician. What's the next impression you're going to do? It's never what do you have to say? What do you think about something? It's what does John Gruden think about this? I'm like, I don't right. know. Ask him. I'm just going to talk right. like this for a second, man. <laughs> or it's like music, maybe like play Freebird. Yeah, like, because, yeah. Like most comedians, when you've heard their bit, you don't expect to go see them live and have them do that bit again. Maybe if they have a voice or something that they go to. But with you, it's like you'd want to evolve and advance the and, product, and people and people they want wanna, you to keep going back. When I don't do like the like I do a little bit of the Madden stuff and in the show and stuff, and if I don't do specific things, it's like people come to see a rerun. People come to see certain things and I have to right. balance that with totally different stuff. And some people at a show will be like, well, that's the same bit you did three, five years ago. I'm like, yeah, but I did an extra 20 minutes of other stuff just so I could do the thing because I know people are coming to see that as well. And there's, I've actually gotten to the point where I've started to phase more and more of that stuff out because I've got the confidence to do more of the new types of stuff and have somewhat of a point of view of my own. Yeah, so when you're putting together a show, let's start with when when you're putting together comedy before maybe this recent rebirth where you're understanding how people see you and maybe wanting that to evolve. You're elevating it to comedy instead of copycatting. You can't just do a stream of impressions. They have to connect to each other. There needs to be a story to tell. How do you do that? Um, because obviously – you, you want it to be a craft. You want to be observing things and not just repeating. Right. And that goes a lot to the vaudevillian style of impressionists that I had seen before that. It, it, the people who would just do lines for movies. And it's funny because you'll even see that on YouTube now. It's funny how impressions, it's a, they don't evolve that much. People just do, they do a lot of copycatting. Well, people for don't me, often stop sounding the way that they do. Yeah, <laughs> their well, voice isn't just suddenly going to change because your bit needs to change a little. Right. Bit. Well, what I like to do is find a take on the person. Is what is the what is the person doing that you can 
do more inside of a sketch or talk more about a subject. Now, sports analysts are the easiest to do that with because what do they do? They break things down in the sporting event you're watching during, before, and after. So if let's say we're talking about, uh, let's use Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley is going to say, that's a ridiculous play right there. Look at everything <laughs> it did. Like, so now I can take him and talk about uh, anything in life, breaking that down and say, that's a terrible, terrible vacuum right there. Nobody would use that. <laughs> like, and all of a sudden people are on board because they know where he's coming from. The other thing I found with Charles Barkley, and this is a lot of where I'm trying to come from in acting in my whole life now is honesty. Charles Barkley is one of the few people that you know you're going to get a 100% candid and honest answer from all the time. He's not really going to self-censor. And they'll, for that reason, they've even put him on CNN. I know he's part of the Turner Group, right. but they'll, they'll be like, what do you think about what's going on in the Middle East right now? Well, I think it's really crazy that everything's happening <laughs> right there. But what's really crazy is that you guys had me on CNN, knucklehead. <laughs> like, he'll be honest about that in the middle of the interview. The right. Draymond Green thing, I talk about this in my act. Like, Draymond Green... He was so honest, like, I want to punch Draymond Green in the face. He said that on <laughs> national television, which was fantastic because it was real, honest, right? But then he apologized. You know he had to apologize because they said you have to apologize. We right. don't want this to become worse and worse and worse. Then he apologized, but with something he could live with. He went on TV and said, I apologize for recognizing that Draymond Green has such a punchable face. <laughs> that That's not an apology. It's a cheat code, right? Yeah. So, But it's brilliant because it, it, it seems like an apology, but it's also something he can live with and he's just not the type of person that's going to go out there and do anything but be real the the whole weight watchers thing that happened with him yeah. he said they're, they're just giving me money this is simple and then weight watchers was brilliant because they realized that honesty was the best they're like yeah it's that simple even charles barkley can do it and get paid money to talk about it so it acts honesty in many times you don't realize how much that can pay off because we're always so busy trying to hide stuff i think and for me, that's a, a big thing of where I'm trying to come from nowadays. Yeah. So people pleasing is a big part of comedy though, and, and wanting the audience to like what you're doing. You know what? So you think it, you think it is, but, and I've always thought it is, but I, I don't know. I don't know if it's that 100%. And I'll tell you why. Because now, if you are a, uh, a comedy, let's, let's just use, uh, a, a co comedian who's political okay your audience will find you online or on tv and then come to you and then they're already thinking along the same lines as you right. so is there people pleasing yes but it didn't start out that way you're not trying to please everybody you're trying to just have a, a certain group with your point of view that really fits and i that was just the easiest for, one for me to pick out um because it's just when you narrow it, when you narrow it down, the internet's made it so much easier to find your audience. In terms of people, used to have to go all the way around the country, and there were only a few different, or around the world, there were only a few different places you could go on TV, and people could see your comedy. Well, now you can just do it anywhere online, and you can do something very specific, and with the hashtags and uh, uh, people f um, favoriting or retweeting or what sharing it, however. People will find you that are looking with similar interests. Right. Well, that you used to have to play to a very broad audience and you couldn't be there. Now you can find people you're talking to and they will actually search you out. But I guess what I mean is 
not people pleasing because I think you're right. And some of some of it is taking risks and going with your gut and then driving people towards something interesting and different that they didn't even know they wanted. But but I mean, when you're trying to balance a show and you're saying, I want people to get to know me better. Right. I want people to get to know the yes. comedy I'm doing and the choices I'm making to make it funny, not just mimicry. How do you balance? I'm going to give you a little bit of this, you know, John Madden, because I know you want that. But I want to also create something that feels different than what I've been doing. Well, my initial answer is I'm still learning that. Um, I get up on stage, and if I don't work in so- or mention something about voices up front, I feel like I'm carrot top and the airline has lost <laughs> my luggage. Yeah. Because you can see people waiting for or Jeff Dunham without the puppets. You can right. feel people going. I, I, there's, there's another analogy um you you've gone to see a live concert with a band right before yeah, yeah. so you ever see a comedian open up for a band um no but i did see a freak show uh, okay so explain that well it was like dudes like picking up bricks with their genitals and doing gross <laughs> things with nails it was that, before uh, nine that, inch nails it was my very first concert it's uh, seared into my brain forever because i was 12 yeah um, but geez. it is it, but you were six foot so it was okay acts. exactly I, I could see over everyone unfortunately i had a really great view of the said right. genitals um but <laughs> i um i uh i no, i've only seen other musical acts open for musical acts other than aforementioned freak show. and one of the reasons for that is because if you're going to see music, you are in the mood for music before the right. music. It's warm-up yeah. music. Well, a lot of times they'll have comedians open up for a musician. And the difficult thing about that is they're in a music mode, right? but but you're up there trying to do jokes. And you need silence. There's In, in music, people will sing along. You don't need silence. It's always there. Silence is very important to have pauses in comedy. And the analogy is this. The impressions for me are the band. I am the comedian before the band. So you can feel people. I can feel it. And it's getting better. But I can feel people going, is this guy going to start doing his John Madden? I mean, uh, (laughs) listen, I'd settle for some Jeff Goldblum right now. It's... It's that kind of a feeling, and I've just—it's a little bit of confidence. Some of it's me being a little bit too um, aware of it, and you have to block some of that out. And other right. comedians who've had more time working on the craft and not becoming going right to the machinery of stuff, um, which is what I did, and working and being in a lot more situations where they bombed early, and it gave them a lot more strength. In those situations, I have to because I don't. I really don't mind bombing with an impression because it's not me. If it's me bombing as myself, it, there's a little more to it. You know, it's a little more personal, and uh, it it hurts a little bit more because you're not. It's not the puppet failing; it's the puppeteer. Yeah. So I, I do try and balance it though, and I get up there. I mention some of that. I I work some different things in. I talk a little bit about my family. I get into the voices. And then for the rest of time, I go back and forth. I, that's why I've been doing a lot of smaller club dates is it allows the proximity of how close the audience is to you and the, uh, the, the smallness of a comedy club really gives you the feeling to experiment more as opposed to a theater or a, you know, a casino or a corporate type of event where you can't do that kind of stuff. It's it's much harder to get people to go along and follow you on weird tangents where's where I really want to go right now. 
So you mentioned sort of the feeling of uh, it hurts more if it's the puppeteer and not the puppet taking the blows. Do you feel like you've used that ability to move in and out of various characters to keep distance from people or avoid situations? In real life? Yeah. Well, uh, I, no, I don't think so. I, I, I mean, I shouldn't, I shouldn't go to the answer that quickly. That, that just tells you that it's the defense mechanism. Um, <laughs> no, I don't think so because I am not like that at all in real life. Uh, in, in real life, I, I'm not doing anything like that. And I, maybe years and years ago, um, but once I had kids, everything changed. I have a daughter and a son and I'm, uh, I'm a ball, of, uh, I'm a puddle of mush right now. It's just, <laughs> I cry, you know, at the silliest things like I'll, especially like a sports movie, like the rookie or something like, is it the rookie? Is, is that, 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 that was the, uh, the story rookie of the year. No, no, not rookie of the year. That would be ridiculous. Um, <laughs> no, like the natural or said just some oh, yeah, baseball yeah. movie, but the yeah. rookie is when I can't, I can't remember who it is, but, uh, uh, played Buddy Holly, Dennis Quaid. Yeah. Dennis oh, Quaid, okay. where he comes out and throw in a, you know, 95 miles an hour as an old man and he goes back and starts playing, uh, again after a surgery and all that kind of stuff. Those tearjerker things. They, and I even said that to Dennis Quaid. I'd met him years ago. Uh, and was like, oh, that, that, that just made me cry. He goes, that's what's supposed to do. Right, like, okay. exactly. But uh, yeah, I, I think years ago, maybe it was a way to put on a show so people didn't talk to me. Um, I do think that, but now it's just kind of what I do and it's an easy way to get a laugh. I'll tell you uh, that <laughs> it, that's, you know, you go into that. It's pretty simple, but there's also, I found that honesty can do that same thing. People just aren't really ready for honesty all the time. Um, and think, but think about that a little bit. When you're honest with somebody, it gives, sometimes it gives somebody that little bit of shock and they, they love the element of a shared experience, right? Yeah. That I've had that too. Yeah, it's exactly, that was my point is 100%. That's what it is. So honesty and comedy, they do go hand in hand. It's just a little bit of a different tool in the box, I guess, so to speak. Um, but they're, they're very similar when you think about it. I don't know if I've ever, I, I know people say honesty is the best kind of comedy, but I never thought about why, but it's that shock because you don't hear that much honesty and then the shared experience that, that bridges the gap that, you know, there's other things in comedy like an assumption where somebody gets you going one way and then zags back. But that, that uh, there's nothing better than honest comedy and somebody goes, oh, I know exactly where you're coming from on that. You've been talking about honesty a lot, and obviously it's going to drive, you know, your, especially if you're doing observational comedy or it's going to affect the perspectives that you give to the characters that you're doing or the impressions that you're doing. But it also feels like that's something that is sort of new to you. Yeah, um, totally. And that's why it's dominating like the front of your brain. You're wanting to come back to it. What are you being honest about that you weren't before? Or, or why is it so, so front of mind for you? Well, first of all, I took an acting class. Uh, it, it was, I live in the Phoenix area and with a guy named Matt Deering and he opened my eyes to what acting actually is. I always thought acting was performing for people, but true acting is replicating an experience and replicating feelings and reliving that so to speak uh in the acting situation or in the in the scenario you're in i always thought it was okay i'm going to put on a show well, the show is the show is what you get as the 
uh, the end result of all the cogs being put into place. When you're acting, you really are just trying to be honest in that situation. And that opened my eyes to, I was always putting on a show. I was always going and, uh, my comedy was, hey, look at this magic trick. I was actually, the things I was mad about, like, hey, why do they always want the next magic trick? Because I was always just giving them the next magic trick. Right. Um, so that's why it's at the forefront. What am I trying to be more honest about? Where I come from on things. Why do I see something? Instead of just, getting to Charles Barkley and doing the voice like I talked about before just uh what it would be more was that stuff I did talk about with Charles Barkley being honesty uh, honest and that's why people do love him so it's about finding the truth behind that if it's in a character and for me it's about sharing experiences about family and and life um that I probably never would have done before. I always would have gone, well, why does anybody, why would somebody find that interesting? Well, people do. I, I, I don't understand why, but people do. They're, they're inherently inter- interested in other people's lives, especially when you've been on TV or on, you know, in a, played a character that people know. They want to find out more about you. And I, I think part of them, part of it's probably the reason I didn't understand is I'm probably a narcissist in some <laughs> level. And I, I never cared as much, I don't think. I don't think when I was younger, I just kind of was me. But having kids and a family... That's the opposite, though. A narcissist would assume that everybody was interested in you because you're the most interesting thing around. Yeah, I guess. I I mean, so I was an (laughs) (laughs) anti-narcissist. Just selfless at all times. Yeah, right. Thinking only of others. Uh, Mother Therese Frank. I didn't have any way to put those together very well. Uh, But I tried and I struggled. Mother Frankisa. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, so what would that? It's it's a weird. Well, it might just be the, the the if you've spent a life curating these great impressions and stepping into other people, um, you know that people want that. Yes. And so maybe it's hard to say, but do you also want just me without all that? Because this is the right. thing that you're asking for. That's it. You've that's that's why you're the skilled professional. One hundred percent. That's it. It's but in, isn't it funny that I'm thinking about in terms of these impressions? Like I'm interested in the people that I'm doing the impressions of, and maybe I'm not as famous as those people, but people are interested in people they've seen. They want to know their stories. Right. And that that's something I've come to. I, it's weird because a lot of people say to me, and I still think they're wrong on some of those. They'll be like, you don't know how famous you are. I'm like, watch, I can walk anywhere unless I have a gray wig on and a fake nose. <laughs> people don't really know, but sometimes when people hear the name and they see, they expect me to be six, you know, six, three and 400 pounds, first of all. And so uh, it's a letdown when they actually see actually John Madden. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's just, they're like, what, what, why don't, why aren't you 70 years old? And because I'm 45, I can't change that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I have to apologize for my genetics. Um, yeah, I, it just is what it is. And I, listen, I don't know. I don't know what the final, what the latest clicks have been, but it's just more, Hey, I, I just want to have fun and come from an art side more than a business side. And for the longest time, I'd come I'd more business than show in show business. It was more less about art and more about how can I make as much money as possible. And uh, I figured out, you know what, that doesn't as much. I, I love money. Don't get me wrong. But it's like there's other parts to life. And mm-hmm. having a family was part of that, too. And I missed some great things. Uh, that's a really, that's the easier way to go. 
is to get all the money and then be able to explore versus people who want the art first don't necessarily have the privilege of then saying all of a sudden, okay, I'd like the money now. Oh, wait, <laughs> I missed my window or I don't know how to be that thing, you know? Yeah. So you're lucky in a sense in having this skill that you, you used it in a way that got you a ton of success and fame and people know you for it. But now you do have that burden of the expectation of who you've always been and wanting to change it, which is, you know, I had Chelsea Handler on the podcast and she went from, you know, I'm going to talk about being drunk and having one night stands to wanting to sort of be an activist and talk about the therapy she's doing. And a lot of people don't want that from her because they decided who she was. And we put people in boxes. Right. Yeah. So you're kind of pushing back against just people who have said, oh, I like you for this and I don't want you to be anything but that. Yeah. And that's that's the difficult thing. You, you know, we see it in sports. We see it everywhere. Where people say, uh, you know, the whole LeBron James thing more than an athlete, uh, mm-hmm. type of thing. We see that in a lot of places and it can disrupt. Um, but I think people, as long as they're, for me, it's as long as it's coming from the heart, I think it's, it's great. I see some people uh, at times, uh, you know, just trying to monetize <laughs> their feelings then more. So it's like, yeah. uh, I don't know about that, but I do think when it's coming from the heart, I I really like that. But yeah, people definitely put you in boxes. And I put myself in a box. And you have to realize a lot of times you put yourself in that box and you're upset that you put yourself in that box. And I'm I'm a person who's a realist and go, you know what, I've 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 um contributed to this some too. Um so I'm not gonna just blame other people on it. I'm gonna try and figure out how can I get to the next level and just keep working at it. And if I never get there, I never, but at least I put the effort in, and that's a big thing for yeah. me. We'll be right back with more That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Hiring can be tough, but there's a place you can go where it's simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash said. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash said. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash S-A-I-D. ZipRecruiter.com slash said. ZipRecruiter, smartest way to hire. That's what she said. So let's go back to when you started doing the impressions. Can you take me through how you make one? Where do you start? How do you get comfortable in that person's skin? Are you starting with mannerisms or voice or catchphrases? How do you do it? Well, I think, first of all, if you can, let's let's start the, with the the audio, the, the sound of the person first. If you find their cadence... That's the key. That's the key. Cause you don't have to have the pitch right. You don't, it, it, how many Christopher Watkins have you heard? You've heard a low. You've heard high. You've right. heard right in the middle, right? The, um, uh, Barack Obama. I'm scared of right. ghosts. <laughs> right. And you can say it, but you know what it is because of the cadence. With President Obama, you talk slow at the beginning and speed up at the end. It's that what's the cadence of the person? And then you can say lots of different things. Um, and that, that uh, some of it comes to, to add on to the take, which I get to later. But then the so you find first that cadence because you can cheat a little bit with the cadence. 
you don't have to have it exactly right in terms of the, the, the note or the pitch. Then you add mannerisms or facial expressions, and that can sell it even more. Saturday Night Live, they'll make you up to look like the person. Mm. That could sell it way more. Per, a person might not even do a very good impression uh, of the person, but they look exactly like them. You ever hear David Spade talk about doing impressions on Saturday Night Live in the late 80s? And maybe early nineties would be like, well, they made me look like them. I didn't really do an impression of the person. People think, like, oh no, your impression right. of them is perfect. Like years ago, somebody said, Hey, and when you're in Mad TV, you did a great Rosie O'Donnell. I'm like, no, they just threw a wig on me. That's all they really did. There wasn't. Unfortunately, I just looked enough like Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> you, yeah. You say, I don't want to say it. I'll get in trouble, but it's like, uh, but it was, there's a lot of that, you know, they just make you look decently enough like the person. It sells it even more. So then if you don't have that, the facial expressions and the mannerisms really can sell it. That can be even as much, if not better than the voice. And people watch you do that. When you put it all together, cadence, if you get the pitch or tone of the person right and the mannerisms, that all works to make a great impression, even if it's not a dead on impersonation, which an impersonation would be, you're trying to just mimic and be the person in my, that's in my vocabulary, in my head. Whereas an impression goes on a, a little bit of a take of what the person has. George W. Bush trying to, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, figure out what's coming next and, uh, uh, something like that. Or, uh, in, in the case of, uh, Morgan Freeman sounding exactly like the person is the only way to go. But now I've, <laughs> the take on him is I'm just going to narrate everything that's going on. So right. you you need to find that. Uh, I think that little bit of a take and that brings you from just regurgitating lines to having a, a full character with the person. Now, on stage and I believe also uh, on TV, the way th- to do it, is like a speech. And when I was in school, they used to tell us that the, 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 the way to go through a speech or tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. So mm. the tell them what you're going to tell them is let them know what impression you're going to do. Uh, because then people aren't figuring it out all at different times. Right. Did the you se- ever think about the fact that Morgan Freeman could narrate anything and it would sound good? Yeah, right. right. Then you narrate anything and then you do it again. And now the joke (laughs) is because you're acting it out, right? But you've, you've done a couple things there. You've said Morgan Freeman. So they know the name. That's another problem I have is I'll say a name of somebody and people are like, is he going to do? No, I'm just mentioning a name. (laughs) So Morgan Freeman is part of like, or the, the name of the character is the, um, the first part. Then you do a, an, uh, a mannerism or facial expression to set it up even more. And then the voice is the third thing with the cadence. And by the time, if you have enough, and not every impression I do has that, but by the time you do that third one, people are laughing from the first two and you're already, Mm -hmm. you've already got them in. And so that's the, that's the tell them what you, what you told them. So it, in that formula, which it all works, but again, I'm in that mode where I'm trying to break some of the formulas and, uh, um, trying to do some things a little bit differently. When I first started doing stand-up, I did, I had this thing about, I don't want to tell them what impression I'm doing. I want them to figure it out. And I realized that people, some people didn't know what impression I was doing until about <laughs> like four minutes in or something. So they I'm missed like, some what? of the great jokes you'd made. Yeah. yeah the incredible uh, uh, humor I've crafted earlier. Yes. <laughs> so when you're learning a new one, are you walking around the house 
just doing the voice and like there's a lamp or whatever, you know, in the voice to just get yourself used to it? Yeah, that that would be the, the the main thing. And I used to work on them a lot more. I would do impressions all all the time. I when I worked at that indoor baseball softball place, I would give out tokens as Robin Williams, like, Oh my goodness, here you go. You know, it's a pot of gold. <laughs> there you go, you little leprechaun. Okay, my friend. All right. So we would we I would do that type of stuff. Now it's it's probably more to myself. Um I will watch things, but it's, it's hard to try and find people that enough people, uh, enough of an audience is going to know f- mm. for the stage a lot of times. Um, super I, different now. There's yeah. a million different places that you go for content. It used to be everyone watched the same three channels. So everybody knows who that was. Right. Was. And even after that, when it was cable, it might have been 50 channels, yeah. but now there's, it's, it's it's infinite. It really it might not actually be infinite, but it, eventually, it, I guess it feels that to be way. Infinite. It, yeah. There's just so much, and audiences are so segmented, and people are programmed directly to that. People don't even know certain genres exist, or people people that watch Netflix don't necessarily watch network television anymore, or know anything about certain move that that's their whole world is is that it's like being in the simpsons and you only know that world so well, in some ways the sports thing was probably good for you then because yes. you know that people who are into sports they're going to get every single one of them not just the athletes but the people who work for espn and the people who work for fox and everybody else well definitely and when i went to espn i realized that people that watch espn it was like the simpsons that was mm. its own world mm-hmm. everybody knew all the simpsons characters but a lot of people just watched ESPN. Yeah. Some people don't. Like, Jay Moore used to do this bit about people watching. He might still mention it, but it, like about people watch Sports Center. Like you watch Sports Center, and then that Sports Center's over. Then you watch the rerun of Sports Center. Why? <laughs> yeah. I, you don't know. You just watch the same Sports Center. It's for no reason. And you halfway through, you're like, I just saw this exact same interview word for word, but you don't change it. You watch the same thing and you can't figure out why you're doing it. But you, you just like it, it happens with the Spanish channel too. You ever just accidentally, I don't know if you speak Spanish, but I don't speak really speak Spanish. Not since high school. My kids are learning in school right now, but it's, I don't really, I'm not fluent in Spanish or anything, but sometimes I'll just come across the channels, flipping through the channels, and it'll end up on the Spanish channel. And I'll realize I've watched the Spanish channel for the last – I've been watching <laughs> Univision for 30 minutes. I haven't understood a single word. I don't know what happened to me. <laughs> then I just flip it back to Sports Center. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know what that is, but it, there's a reality to that. Yeah. Um, let's do a quick speed round because I have a couple I want to get to. So uh, your least favorite impression to do. Oh, uh, listen, I don't know if I do have a least favorite. I, mm. it, it, it's, I don't, if it, 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 you get tired of doing, maybe, um, none are like one, physically taxing, like, oh, physically, your, okay, like they hurt gonna, your voice or your, your posture or you're just like, okay, not this again. I, I just got my voice back. Or well, the Gruden face for any extended period of time, <laughs> making that, making that Chucky face, man. I mean, I'll, I'll do like videos for that on uh, Instagram or something. And I'll be like, man, my head just, the back of my head starts to hurt. It's not even the front. I don't know well, what it is. You're pulling it all forward. Yeah, I guess. In the back. It's creepy. I mean, it's just, it's it can be painful. But in terms of uh, voices, none of them really hurt that much because at the beginning, it's almost like breaking down a muscle and then mm. it rebuilds itself, I think, maybe vocal cord wise. 
Um, so most voices, they don't, they're not taxing on my voice at all. Uh, maybe a, maybe a a movie voice type of thing. Like if you do this for so much time, you know, that type of thing (laughs) or an Optimus Prime Autobots transform like that could be, but, um, most, I don't, that those would be the type, something deep and rumbling would be the most difficult. Uh, my colleague Stu Gotts does something called the uh, the Sports Whisperer, and if you try to whisper for several minutes at a time, it's so painful to listen to someone do because he just loses it altogether. So I hopefully you never have a long character that involves just hard, loudly whispering. Yeah, it's, almost uh, almost as painful as trying to listen to Stu Gotts tell the truth for a couple right, of minutes. Right. Well, that's yeah. not that doesn't happen very often. Though, so <laughs> thankfully, we're saved of that <laughs> more often more often than not. Um, is there a, an impression that you really wanted to get, you kept working on, and you just never got it to the point that you didn't even use it in your act? Oh, that happens all the time. Uh, people think I'm way better at this than I am. I talked <laughs> to a friend of mine, Ross Marquand, who uh, he was uh, Red Skull in Avengers. He's on uh, Walking Dead. He's probably the best dead-on impressionist I've ever seen. And uh, we, we talked about this together one time. It's just like, People don't realize how long you have to try and work and craft an impression for it to even be decent. And there's so many you just throw out because you never, you can never do it. And Is there one that sticks with you? Um, I don't even, I can't even do a good Joe Pesci. I mean, mm. it's, if somebody says do Joe Pesci, I'm like, uh, uh, Joe, Joe Bre- Jim Brewer. J- Jim Brewer does a great one. Um, you just outsource it. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, oh no, I'm sorry, I can't. But let me t- let me send you in the right direction. Yeah, for that. yeah I'll, I'll give you his. Uh, uh, start I'll with g- Joe Pesci, and then if not, uh, Jim Brewer. Yeah. yeah, at at Jim Brewer, I believe yeah. you can find him. <laughs> um, is there one you're most proud of? Um, no, I don't think so. I, 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 I I'm. Listen, the George W. Bush, cause everybody, I was so fat at the time that people were like, you should not, like, Mad TV did not want me to do the George W. Bush. They tried everybody on the show except for me. And I, I, they never said that, but that's probably what it was. And I get it because I couldn't look at anything like them. And then I nailed this one sketch as George W. Bush. Um, and it was, it was a debate sketch where, um, Michael McDonald was playing John Kerry and I was doing George W. Bush and just hit it out of the park and nobody expected it. And I, I took, I took over the George W. Bush role from then on at Mad TV. They were contemplating having Josh Myers, Seth Myers brother do it. They had Will Sasso do it for a little bit who wasn't even skinny by any means, but I was so big at the time. <laughs> I think they were like, uh, no, but, uh, and they were even asking Ike Barinholtz and everybody, people who didn't do impressions, they were trying to get a George right. W. Bush impression of everybody except for, for me. So, um, I think that's one because I stepped up to the plate and I really, that was something people weren't expecting. So it was not so much about getting the impression. It was that, Hey, it actually allowed me to do something then other than just the John Madden popcorn popper on Mad TV. Cause at Mad TV, they, I would try to do other sketches. It would do really well at the table read where you go through it the first time and the, the powers would be saying, yeah, yeah, well, well we're going to put that on back burner and maybe do it in a few weeks. In the meantime, can you do John Madden building a birdhouse? Really? <laughs> yeah. All right. I okay. guess so. Um, what's the most asked for when you're out and about and people recognize you? I think that depends on who the person is. A, a, a person who loves movies in general might ask for an Al Pacino or somebody might be a Robin Williams fan. Sports people love Barkley. 
some still like the Madden, although I feel like he's so far gone, but I'm known for that at the same time. Um, Gruden, people, people wait. They're on the edge of their seats waiting for Gruden a lot of the time. Um, people have heard me do some of the Avengers stuff. If they're mm-hmm. younger, I have, I have a couple audiences right now, which is weird that I find it. The old guys, I can feel in the crowd, they're just waiting. For, they want John Madden the whole time. And then I'll throw in something, I am Loki of Asgard, and I'm burdened with glorious purpose. And people are like, <laughs> who cares about the art being Robert Downey Jr.? Okay, do me a favor. Enjoy yourself. We'll get to the Madden. Just give me a minute. And they're like, they don't even know what I'm doing. Or I throw out a Chris Hemsworth, Loki, my brother. They... The, the the one crowd is going more 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 and one crowd is going uh can you just circle yeah, something that's tough yeah it's yeah. weird right because i'm getting known by different audiences and uh that's why i try to do more of the newer stuff on uh like instagram and stuff like that because the old stuff they're the older people aren't even on that really so it's but you have to try and stay fresh and different and new and that's the difficult thing that I find and why I try to go to less impressions overall and more storytelling. Uh, you never know as well what celebrity nowadays is going to have a hashtag, uh, thing that happens to them too. You know, you know, it, oh, like hashtag me too. Yeah. Liam Neeson. There's, oh, uh, yeah. th- there's, there's, and for a little while, it seems like people forget in certain things, but other things are too big and too. I talk about this in my act too. Ten years ago, if I'd have said the name Bill Cosby, everybody in the room would be like, oh, I hope he does a Bill Cosby. Do the I say the name, pops. Yeah, right. And I say Bill Cosby now, people are like, I hope he doesn't do a Bill Cosby. I mean, there's <laughs> that's there's just information comes out about people. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm not saying people should hide that. That's not exa- That's not at all what I'm saying. But people are much more responsible for themselves now because they can't get away with as much. And celebrities, if you've ever been in that world, they t- – the bigger that you are as a celebrity, there are some things you tend to get away with a lot more because there's power involved. And, um, so it's a weird thing with the, that. And well, other, there's a lot more minefields for you too. Yeah. And I just have to be careful. You have to set it up right. And you, you know, I don't want to make a joke about hashtag me too. I don't want to do that. But if it's a person and I can make a point about something, I'd want to be able to make a point about that person as long as the victim in it is not the one that's in trouble. And that's very hard. Right. Yeah. That's hard on social media because people immediately go to, well, you're making fun of these people. I'm like, no, that you missed the point. You didn't listen well, to people the people are whole morons, thing. first of all. So social media is going to be the toughest place to have anything with nuance or satire or intelligence behind it. It's going to be like least common denominators action on that I, too often. I, I hadn't noticed. <laughs> I'm sure you have. What's the uh, what's the impression people try to do at you the most? Oh, easy ones. And that's how the way they the reason they'll do that is because they'll try to get into doing their impression for me. So somebody will be like, hey, I really loved how you did that Yoda. Like, it's just a joke to do a <laughs> like, but they'll be like, I'm like, oh, thanks. And they're like, oh, that first. <laughs> I'm like, oh, thank you, Yoda Grover. That's really uh, good. Yeah. But it's one of those things where I don't even know what to say. Then they'll do start. They'll start doing parts of my act for me. And oh, like, no. oh, I know those lines oh. too. So it's, and I don't want to be mean, but at the it's same time. It's kind of nice. You're like, oh, that's cool that you know my stuff and you love it. But also like, yeah, I know it. It's, I got it. And I've done that. Yeah. And that, uh, that's, and I did the same thing. People, I, and I, I'm embarrassed, but I'll tell you this. Uh, people will come up to me and 
they will say, my son does this incredible impression. That's just you doing the impression. They'll be like, you'll love it. And then the kid will be like, hey, folks, John Madden here. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> do you even know who John Madden is? <laughs> no, not really. My dad made me do this. Now, I when I met Tom Hiddleston, who plays Loki, I made my daughter do an impression of Korg from Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is awful. I'm being the person that I that I have trouble with out live because uh, tom hiddleston does a d- bunch of different impressions and his line to me was great because he's like and um, yes i do impressions of um people i work with in movies i'm like oh <laughs> i do impressions of people i've seen in movies so <laughs> we're similar but so different yeah. um and then i made my daughter do this impression she didn't really want to do but it, i don't know if he was just being nice or what uh, and at the time i realized like well, this is the probably the one of the the most embarrassing things I've ever done, but I'll give you the most embarrassing. Well, it might not be the most embarrassing. I know we got to go here soon too, but um, I was on a plane and uh, what's his name? Uh, the plays Aquaman. You guys got that on, on hand. Yeah. Jason think. Momoa, Jason Momoa. He was at the airport and something had happened. He was probably supposed to be on a private plane somewhere and he was at the airport and everybody's taking pictures of him and they're not really talking to him, but he was with his family. So people were kind of leaving him alone. It was nice in that respect, but he gets on the same plane as me and he's just sitting there for a while. He gets up to go to the bathroom and before this happens, he looks at me like three or four times and I don't want to assume that he knows who I am because it (laughs) just might be that I have ketchup on my face or something. But I feel like he's recognized me, but doesn't know why. So uh, he, we get on the plane. He goes up to the bathroom. I try to sneak a picture of him. I don't get enough. I'm not like I'm, I'm not going to put it on social media. Thing. I'm just going to tell my daughter about it because she right. loves the superhero. Movie. He catches me doing it. Oh, we no. have the reach out of the hand. It oh, gets no. worse. Um, cause he comes back from the bathroom and I'm like, Hey, sorry, dude. And he's like, and that's when we had this great conversation. His part of it was, Ugh. and then he went and just <laughs> sat down. Um, but then the flight attendant reaches over to me and goes, um, you're going to, um, erase that. Right. I was like, what? Oh, she was watching. Yeah. But not only that, you can't tell somebody to erase, you know, how many pictures people have right. taken of me, like right. not, not that I'm in that level of superstardom. I'm not, but it's like, you can't stop. Like people were walking on the plane, and I wanted to go. Hey, I'm I, I I'm on TV too. I'm, uh, you know, I'm they expected more from you in first class, Frank. That's yeah, why. I guess. You I know guess what? The plebeians in coach are going to do that, but you, we expected more. From Maybe you. it got even worse because I talked really loudly on the phone afterward. I'm like, yeah, I'm heading over to the studio now. Oh no, yeah, to <laughs> to record some stuff on television because I'm also on television. <laughs> Maybe not in a movie, but I'm on television okay uh, bye bye tv studio i'll talk to you later uh, uh, and that's such a terrible feeling we were we were leaving the cubs game the other day and the the broadcast guy um for the opposing team was in the elevator and i saw his badge i'm like oh you called the game today and he's like yeah i'm like not not a great one for your guys but and he just seemed so annoyed with me and i wanted to be like yeah you know like Work for ESPN. It's my, you know, and I just was like, you know what? He's so annoyed that I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let him think I was just an annoying person in the elevator. Like, just <laughs> not even, I'm not even gonna like need to connect with him. But I wanted him to know, out of principle, that I was asking because I was just interested in his gig and how the day went. But right, um, yeah. Um, what's the weirdest situation in which you've been asked to do an impression or you've just done one? I know you've like called some, uh, you know, Steve Kimes before and left and left a message as another GM or another coach or, but has somebody asked you to leave a voicemail for someone or in the middle of a wedding or have you been Chris Hemsworth in bed? <laughs> uh, I wish, um, <laughs> probably, my wife probably does too. Um, I don't know. I, I, 
I, well, years and years ago, uh, this was the most awkward. I called up a news station as John Madden. I'll tell you how long it was. He was on doing Sunday night football at the time. I was like, I can't take it anymore. They're like, what? I can't take it anymore. Al Michaels is driving me crazy. They're like, is this John Madden? Yes. Uh, have you been drinking, Mr. Madden? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Will you go on the air? One, yeah, right now. Let's do it. And they were going to put me on the air. Uh, like that tells you about the credibility of the news source at that time. But I was like, I can't do this. So I, I got really close. I got through like three people. I was like, I'll be in a lot of trouble if I go on the air. I mean, you could easily get a lot of people in trouble. Oh, yeah. And get sued. Call the White House. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people have always wanted me to do that, especially the George W. Bush years. They're like, just call. And I'm like, I'm, those are the worst <laughs> people to try and call. Right. Because call. they have. Say you got they, a flat tire, send the Secret Service out to grab you. Yeah. They have, <laughs> they have access to everything. They can find me. There's no, I can't hide at that point. You don't mess with that high of a level. Uh, that's a great point. Um, so what do you still want to do? You're, you're sort of evolving your act. Um, you have your podcast now on frankpods.com. What are you, what's in front of you that you want to do next? I'm just, I'm working on getting back, getting, not getting back, but really getting into the acting side of stuff, playing some small characters, uh, auditioning for that type of stuff, which I don't live in LA, so it's difficult, because if you try and put stuff on tape, it's really an, uh, when you go, and I didn't even understand this till recently, you, you have to go in front of these casting directors and work through stuff, and they, they see you a couple times, and you develop the character or the person in front of them a little bit, and that's how you get a role. Um, but that's, that's what I want to do more of is finding like non-impression characters, not huge over the top, big fakey characters. But again, to go back to that, um, that, that line of thinking truth is finding like being a real actor, uh, even if it's the smallest roles and, uh, just learning and, and being part of that. That's, that's where I really want to get. I, uh, working in terms of, uh, more of me on stage. That too, but a lot of it, like I said from the beginning, and keep going back to is that that honesty. Just keep going from there because I do struggle sometimes. I start to put on the show instead of trying to 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 just be. Yeah. Well, before we let you go, you have to put on one last show. You have to do the thing that everybody does, but nobody expects. It's called the Spanish Inquisition. Didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. It's the 10 questions everybody gets and nobody expects. Number one, your Desert Island album. You can only have one. Oh, geez. I'm not a huge music person, so uh, this is the worst for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, the wrestling album um, <laughs> uh, that the WWF guys did, uh, the superstars did years ago. <laughs> it's just the worst. I'm deeply upset How about, by that. Okay, Pyromania. How about Pyromania? Something from the <laughs> – just, uh, just brutal. This is like, what would you say? What was? What is yours? Uh, is- mine is August and Everything After by Counting Crows. Okay, that's mine then. Okay, perfect. That's a good one. <laughs> You're welcome. Number two, what habit or quality do you think has contributed most to your success? Um, what, what quality has success, uh, uh, contributed most to my success? Um, ability to repeat the question in the form. <laughs> um, I would say, uh, wow, uh, mimicry. That's, that's a, for that, for that element of success, 100% mimicry. Yeah. Uh, number three, what would you consider your biggest failure? This interview is way up there <laughs> at this point. Um, if we want to narrow it down, the, the uh, Spanish Inquisition. Um, my biggest failure would be uh, in terms of entertainment, 
I would say not being ready when I first got to Los Angeles with and Hollywood with a lot of different uh stuff to do. Uh right. To, to not having, to, to just being, to allowing myself getting pigeonholed so much because I didn't come prepared. Hmm. Uh, number four, have you ever been in a fist fight? Uh, have I ever been in a, yeah, I usually use karate, so I'm so brutal. <laughs> it's such a bad. Have um, you ever been in a judo I don't think, fight? No, I, I've, I'm more of, I would say I'm more of a lover, but not a fighter, but we already got the Chris Hemsworth thing out of yeah. the way. Uh, yeah. Have I ever been in a, not since I was a kid. I, All right. no, no, I, I, I remember tackling and being tackled by a guy named Ryan Beaster when I was a kid, but that's Ooh, about it. That's not a good name to fight. No, no. no. Uh, number five, if you could switch lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? Switch what? Lives. Lives? With, oh, I thought you said labs. You said wives? No, I thought you said labs. Oh. Like lavatory, <laughs> like bathrooms. Like, I don't know. I bet you Robert Downey you Jr. You said which is one. worse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if I could switch lives with somebody. Uh, I'd take my son or daughter because there's just so much oh. in front of them. I think I really would. I, I, I wouldn't trade most of what I have. I, I, the ups and downs have all been worth it. Um, but uh, you know what? I, I would t- I would take Robert Downey Jr. too. That's <laughs> the second question in a row. I do yeah. it. There's I, I just like counting money and ironing it. <laughs> uh, number six. What's the most embarrassed you've ever been? Uh that uh, that that Jason uh, Momoa. Jason thing Momoa, the day up. on the plane. That's, that's way. <laughs> that's way way up there. Uh, I don't know if I could top that. Uh, number seven. What's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? Uh, I still think the, the, the honesty that we've been going back to, um, yeah. uh, and, uh, I like to be taller. Can I fix that? Like, uh, uh hang, you, hang from- you can want to improve it. I didn't say you'd be able to, but yeah, yeah sure. Okay. That works. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what? Um, uh, willpower in terms of, uh, chocolate and sugar. That's mm. one thing because if I, as much as I exercise now, I'll, I'll count my calories all day. I'll be at 1800 calories and then there'll be a piece of cake uh, that doesn't even belong to me. And I'll somehow figure out a way to get it. And my kids will be mad at me. Uh, number eight, if you were the commissioner of life for a day, what one rule would you enforce that all of society would have to adhere to? Oh, wow. Um, uh, just be, be respectful of other people. I think mm. that a lot of that ties in all the kindness and all that stuff. A lot of that ties into respect. I mean, the, it, which I guess be kind to people too. Um, it, that that's all in there somewhere. But if it's, if it was one thing, uh, eat your vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> Number nine. What's the most scared you've ever been? Uh Again, trying to come up with a number nine here. Um, that's, that's pretty frightening. Uh, the most scared I've ever <laughs> been. Oh, I'm trying to think if I've ever had a near-death experience that has somehow escaped my mind. That's brutal that if I had one, I, I guess it hasn't been. Um, my daughter fell one time. She dropped, she, uh, she fell and she, she hit her head. And, uh, this, the, just the look, a glazed look on her eyes was mm. very scary to me. That, yeah. uh, when anything, there's so many things with my kids now that I think about it. I got out of myself thinking about what scared me about myself. Something, anytime my kids, that can be really something. That's, scary. yeah. Number 10, what three words would you most hope that people would use to describe you? 
What three words? Do people do this a lot where they repeat what you're saying while they're thinking of it? Yes, because these are tough questions, but I do not like to give them out in advance because then I don't get honest answers. I get curated answers. So what three? Yeah, I'd love to have somebody written this for me. Um, (laughs) Not necessarily a phrase, just three words that you would hope that people would think of when they think of you. Oh, okay. So they can be just words separated by commas. Yeah. Um, uh, Let's see. Cautious? Um, which can be good or bad. I'm changing it. Um, <laughs> friendly. Um, okay. So I'm going to go honest, mm-hmm. uh, friendly and, um, I, I wouldn't mind talented. That's good enough. Yeah. That seems yeah. like one that you'd like. That'd be good. Yeah. yeah. That's good. I try not to be too selfish there. So I was, I was trying to think of different, there's some, there are different things to narrow that down. I just have so many single words to say about myself. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, that I'm fairly decent at, but then I change them halfway through too. So <laughs> those are good ones. I like those. Yeah. Uh, bonus question. Who should I have on this podcast to talk to? Who would I find interesting? Oh, uh, let's see. There's so many people. You, but and you go around uh, uh, a range. Uh, a guy by the name of Ed Milet, who I just I did okay. his podcast just recently. One of the like 50 richest people under 50 in mm-hmm. the world, like amazing, and he's a huge Instagram star and a motivational speaker. Um, just a, uh, and he found me through some sports and stuff like that too. Uh, and I. He was one. Pat McAfee's another one. He's that guy. Yep, he's great. He's, oh, colleague. he's on the net. You know what? He's uh, yeah. he's he's doing college uh, football now for ESPN. Yeah. I'll say Pat McAfee. He's Pat McAfee is one of those people that a few months ago, before some of the stuff started breaking for him, I'm like, there's just something magical happening with yeah, this guy. You can tell with him for sure. Yeah, he's just something. He's got something that's the next generation of people that mm-hmm. you you could never teach somebody, but you're like, he's got no fear. And he just connects with people in a way I I haven't seen maybe ever. Yeah, well, that one's in the works. So I'll tell him that I'll tell him that you uh you said to come on as well, and maybe that'll be the final push. Yeah. Um, Frank, this was so awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time to do it. No, thanks for having me. It's a really great, and uh, it's a, for a true journalist to interview <laughs> me. I mean that. I actually mean that because a lot of times you just go on podcasts. It's it's a different way. You structure questions differently, and you, yeah, for uh, sure. You come from uh, a different level of research and stuff like that. So it was very interesting to me. I was actually a learn. I take it as a learning experience for me to to get better myself. In that I world. love that. Thank you. That's what she said. Be sure to check out another great podcast in the Levitard and Friends Podcast Network, Marty Smith's America. College football season's right around the corner, and guess where Marty was last weekend? Clemson, South Carolina. Download and subscribe to Marty Smith's America on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's what she said. It's time once again for South Bitch Sessions, where I rant about something that bothers me, and I fix it. This week, it's people who say, Jif. Now I get it. One time... Someone asked the guy who invented these things, you know, these images or soundless videos that kind of loop continuously. They don't, you don't have to press play. It's not a full video. It's a GIF. It's a graphical interchange format. And I know they asked him once, do you pronounce it GIF or JIF? And the guy said JIF. But that doesn't mean we have to say it like that. One day if I snap, it's probably going to be about this because graphic, guh, guh, guh. Graphic sounds like a guh, which is probably why people assumed it would stand for Graphic interchange formats and therefore be said GIF. 
The fact that this Looney Tune, who invented it, inexplicably says it sounds like Jif, like the peanut butter, doesn't mean that we all abandon this accepted term and start using the word Jif. And I realized on the list of problems, much like Frank Caliendo, this feels very minor, right? I've I've ranted about some much more serious things. But for some reason, every time someone says Jif instead of Gif, and I get it. You know, people have their own way of saying things. Tomato, tomato. Except it's tomato and potato. It's not potato. You're not British. You're not Madonna, who pretended to be British. You are just an American person, and you should say tomato and potato. And you should say gif. Okay. I feel good about what we accomplished today. Nothing. We accomplished nothing because Frank doesn't have a dilemma. And my dilemma is that people say gif instead of gif. But listen, people, sometimes those things are important, too. There. I fixed it. If you got a dilemma for the commission to fix, tweet it to me at Sarah Spain or go to the iTunes or podcast app. Subscribe to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Rate and review. Leave me all the stars possible. Leave me all the glowing reviews. And in that review, tell me the dilemma that you've got and maybe I'll fix it on the show. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. Well, that's what she said. 